0: Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org.
1: Amen. So, um, as, you, as uh, Bill said, uh, you guys have supported us. Uh, we've been in Japan for 30 years, and, and our church just greets you and thanks you and appreciates all, all that you do for us as a church and us personally. And um, what you're seeing here on the pictures, I don't know if how many of you remember that there was an earthquake and tsunami back in 2011, about 11 years ago, and about um, how many people died? How many was it? There was like almost 16,000 people who died, and there's still more than 2,500 people missing. And uh, just recently this year, we've had a lot more earthquakes in that area and in our area. And God put it on our heart to uh, go back up north, which is uh, quite far and quite expensive to get to. And uh, you guys all uh, supported us in that, as well as New Day in uh, South Carolina. And uh, many people that we had never supported us before for something like this supported us. And so we were able to go back up and revisit this place and uh, reconnect with some of the people there. And um, these are just some pictures From this is what it looks like now in 2022, but we went back in 2011 and we took two trucks with a team from New Day and a team from another church, and uh, it was in November, so it was like six months after after the earthquake had happened, and we took lots of rice and food and stuff, but we also took up two barbecue grills with a lot of beef because that's what I do is I barbecue wherever I go. And so uh, we, they said that it was the first beef that they had had since the earthquake, and this was six months afterwards. And so we, we went again. We felt God call us to go again, and we got enough support uh, for my wife and I and a family. Uh, I don't know if you remember Masa, who came here quite a while ago at, on a prayer, with a prayer team. Him, him and his family went with us. And um, we were able to meet just a few of the people and reconnect with a few of the people that we had had connected with back then. And what we realized was that the infrastructure is restored quite a bit, but their hearts are still broken. And they're still living through that moment when their whole town was washed away, when, when people were washed away. And the pastor, we tried to reconnect reconnect with the pastor there because we hadn't really connected with them all these years and he's from a Lutheran brethren church and um, we thought we were going to just have a small barbecue with these people and then do some prayer walking and go but when we got there we realized that the pastor and his wife were so um, just so depressed ready to give up because you know how many people they have in their church after eleven over 11 years of ministering there up north in the Tohoku area? Do you think they had 30 people? How many think they had 20 people? They had zero. In 11 years, they've had no people get saved. And so God just sent us there, and we just began to, you know... Our church is very small, and God helped me get a new perspective on life. But we were there. We just you know, tried to encourage them. And then at the end, um, the wife had a birthday, and so we celebrated her birthday, bought a cake for her. And then we began to just lay hands on them and began to pray for them and prophesy over them. And it was something new, I think, for them. But they were just so encouraged by our desire to just come up there and just encourage them. And uh, we're still seeing and talking to them on Facebook, and and the wife is very much encouraged. She was ready to go home, Uh, but God sent us there at just the right time to encourage them. So I want to thank you for that. And so I want to just get into the message now this morning. And uh, my key verse is found in Psalms, Uh, Psalms 139. Um, Can we say it together? It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you, Lord, for the word that you've given me for this this place and, and our family here, Lord. God, let it grow in their hearts. Let it touch each one and let it be a transforming word in their lives, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And so the title of my message this morning is Growing Up in God, the the Four Stages to Maturity. Do you ever ask yourself what maturity looks like? Do you ever think about what spiritual maturity looks like? I want to share with you partly from the story of the prodigal son about the four stages that we go through as we mature in the Lord. And I hope this will bless you. Uh, I, I'm just going to identify four, uh, but to do that, to really start and to understand where we start as, as, as Christians, but where we start just as human beings, because, because we are all descendants of Adam and Eve, we all start in brokenness. We all start in brokenness, both spiritually as well as naturally. And what causes brokenness? Sin causes brokenness. It all started with Adam and Eve's sin against God. It started this cycle of being born into this world and starting our lives in brokenness. The good news is that God didn't leave us there, that he didn't want to leave us there, but he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bring us out of our brokenness. Amen. Isn't that great news? And so we're going to look at the process that we go through from going from brokenness to being blessed and and becoming mature in our relationship with God, but also in our relationship with one another. And so four stages that we all go through to go from brokenness to blessed immaturity in our relationships. Um, In a message like this, it's easy to spot immaturity in others, right? (laughs) We can always spot immaturity in others. But this is a message for us to spot immaturity in ourselves. Let's look deep into ourselves and let the Holy Spirit do a work in our own hearts, to find where we need to grow. Amen? So where do we start? What's the first stage? In the first stage, give me and I want. This is the first stage that every person, every baby, every, every spiritual baby, we all start in this give me and I want in our relationships and this is, uh, and happened in the prodigal son's life in Luke 15. It says, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. And so where does this prodigal son start? He starts by saying, I want my share. Give me my share. And that's where we all start as babies. Don't babies start out by crying, give me, give me a bottle, give me a diaper change, right? Would you agree with that? But I hope as parents, when our babies become 20 years old, they're still not asking for a bottle or a diaper change, right? We want to see them grow up, right? We want to see them mature and be able to stand on their own feet. So, you know, I think, Maybe some of you are saying, saying, I still have a spouse in the give me stage. <laughs> right? Sometimes we think we can look at others and we think that. But if you really think about it, when we, when we start in this give me stage, even as Christians, we start with the give me and I want. We get saved because we want something from Jesus. Right? We want him to give us salvation. We want him to save us, to to keep us from going to hell, to give us eternal life, right? We're asking God to do something for us. We want something, right? We all start, God, clean up the mess that I've made of my life. And I want you to understand that God doesn't resent that. Just like you don't resent when you have a newborn baby and they cry and they want, a, they want a bottle or they want their diaper changed. You don't resent that, right? It's expected because they're just babies, right? So God doesn't resent that we come to him in need, that we want something. But you know, he doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow up just as we want our babies to grow up. He wants us to grow up in our faith and in our love and in the way we relate to others. Paul tells the church in in First Corinthians he says in in verse one chapter three, verse one, he says, "Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world." as though you were infants in the Christian life. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food, because you weren't ready for anything stronger, and you still aren't ready. Isn't that a sad state to be in? Wouldn't that be sad if your child at, at the age of 15 was still needing a diaper change and could only drink milk? <laughs> Paul is saying, God is saying through Paul that he wants us to grow up. It's okay that we start out there, but he doesn't want us to camp out there. He doesn't want us to stay there. He wants us to grow up. And I think that happens in our marriages too. Most marriages start in the give me stage. The husband wants the wife to give him something and the wife wants the husband to give her something, right? They're looking for something from each other. They're in this give me stage. And so give me and I want is where the prodigal son was in life, and this is where we all start. And so what's the second stage? The second stage is use me. Now this may seem like a good kind of, yeah, this is a good stage for me to go into. Use me. I want to be used by God, but this is not the use me I'm talking about. Use me sounds good, but it's not the humility. Here I am, God use me, kind of use me. I'm talking about the selfish. Ambition, selfish interest, use me. Use me so I can feel important. Use me so I can be seen. That's that's the use me I'm talking about. And even little children go through that. They 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 cry out to their parents. They want to be seen by their parents. They want their parents to make them feel important, right? And that's good. We all need that. But that's not where God wants us to stay. And that's not how we find our purpose in life. Because we need to find our purpose in God. We need to find our identity in him. And it's always good to encourage one another. Don't get me wrong. But this is not. The use me is for selfish ambition and for self-esteem. And Paul says in Philippians. He says, do not act out of selfish ambition or conceit. But with humility, think of others as being better than yourselves. Do not act out of selfish ambition. Have you reached that level with your relationships with others that you have no selfish ambition when you're relating to someone? It's awfully quiet. In the English language, selfish ambition is two words, but in the Greek, it's only one word, and it's used about seven times, and sometimes it's called self-seeking. James says in um, verse uh, chapter 3, verse 14, says, but if, you're bitter, if you are bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. See, usually the, the root cause of selfish Ambition or self-seeking is out of jealousy and wanting others to see us and make us feel important. But here's the main point. Did you know that ambition at its core is selfish? Ambition at its core is selfish. Now many people believe that ambition is good, that we should have self-drive that we should try to better ourselves. But according to the word of God, there is no good ambition. Because when you think about ambition, who are you thinking about? You're thinking about self. The Bible says that the definition of ambition is self-seeking and self-promoting. Do you think Jesus was doing miracles and healing people because he was trying to promote himself? No, the Bible says that he only did what he, what he saw his father doing. He wasn't doing it to self-promote himself. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus came as a servant. Luke says, Jesus said, I am among you as one who serves. And here's the key. Jesus only did the will of his father And he let his father put him in the position that he wanted Jesus to be in. Do we do that? Do we just serve and let God take care of where he wants us? You know, I remember, this wasn't in my notes, but I remember uh, working at a supermarket in Portland. And I just pushed carts all day, just running around, grabbing cars from all the big parking lots, because this was a huge, huge place. And uh, I didn't realize, but the manager saw me, that I wasn't just, I was running. You know, I was doing as quickly as I could. And I wasn't expecting to get promoted or anything like that, but he saw that, and he came to me, and he said, I see what you're doing. And I'm going to promote you. And he gave me a promotion. And so that's the kind of heart that God wants us to have, that we do it out of just serving others rather than trying to look to get something. Think about the disciples. Uh, Mark 10, 35, it says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, We want you to do something for us. We want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. So even the disciples, as they began to follow Jesus, they were still in this want me and use me stage, stages of life. They wanted something. They wanted to feel important. They wanted to have power. And Jesus said, "You don't know what you're asking, and what happened to the other disciples how did how do you think they felt in mark ten forty one we get a picture. oh, did I not okay Where are we? whoa I went I'm going the wrong way. You're ge- I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> well, you'll see what's coming, huh? <laughs> when the ten disciples, so when uh, Mark 10:41 says, when the ten other disciples heard this, they began to be furious with James and John. Another says that they lost their tempers. Why did they lose their tempers? I think it's because they didn't think of it first to ask Jesus. <laughs> because they wanted that position too. They wanted to have a chance at that position. They were all self-seeking, selfish ambition. And Jesus said, no, that's not right. And so Mark 10, is that where I'm at? Mark 10, 35. Yay, I'm at the right place now. Okay. Mark 10. Next one. Okay, here we go. That's not the way it should be among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to everyone. Because even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many people. You know, I don't think we really know what it is to be a slave Many people talk about being a slave, but I don't think we've ever really experienced what it's like to be a real slave. Have you? Jesus says, you have to be a slave to others. That means you should have no expectations of others in your relationship, but you should be there to serve and to give. That's a little heavy, I know. Jesus is not saying that we shouldn't work hard. Working hard and doing good is not the same as selfish ambition. In fact, Paul tells us in verse 23 of Colossians 3, he says, whatever you do, work at it wholeheartedly as though you are doing it for the Lord and not merely for people. You know that it is from the Lord that you will receive the inheritance as a reward. It is the Lord Messiah whom you are serving. So even as we are serving others, we're actually serving God and how we re, how we act and react to others. Another example of this uh, use me and give me stage was uh, a man named Simon the sorcerer. Do you remember him in Acts? He gets saved, he gets baptized in Samaria and then And then uh, I think it was Peter and John came to Samaria and they began to lay hands on the people and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. I think Peter learned his lesson about selfish ambition and how destructive it can be. And that's why he responded the way he did. But Simon is saying here, give me something so that I can feel significant. Give me something so that I can have power. So people will think I'm important. He's no better or worse than what the disciples did when they asked Jesus to sit up on each side of his throne, right? It's the same thing. Even in our marriages, we often look to our spouse to make us feel important rather than looking to God to find our identity in him first. And we see this same thing in the prodigal son in Luke 15, verse 13. It says, a few days later, the younger son gathered everything he owned and traveled to a distant country. There he wasted it all on wild living. The prodigal son didn't feel like the father was making him happy, and he wanted to do something that would make himself feel happy and make himself feel important. So he went on to another country in wild living where he had lots of money and everybody would think he's important and, and, and fun to be with. He left to go do something that he thought would make himself happy. But our true happiness and approval only comes through through our Father, right? It doesn't come through others. Ultimately, our peace and our happiness comes from God. And so I'm going to shock you. It's not going to be a big shock because you already saw my PowerPoint. <laughs> God did not create marriage to make you happy. God did not create marriage to make you happy. And some of you might be thinking it's working. (laughs) Here's why God created marriage God created marriage to kill you. (laughs) And some of you are thinking it's working. It's a slow death, but it's working. (laughs) Yes, we can find great joy and happiness in marriage, but we won't find true happiness in the give me and the use me and make me feel important stages if we're looking for that in our marriages. See, God knows that the only way that you'll ever be happy is if you die to self. So he created marriage kill you. Because that's the only way you can be happy. Give me and use me. Make me significant is not what will make you happy in your marriage. So think about Adam. God creates Adam and he thinks, you know, how can I help him die to self? I know. I'll create this woman who is the complete opposite of him and make him live with her. That will kill him, and that will kill her because she has to do the same thing. And if that doesn't completely kill them, I'll give them children. (laughs) (laughs) How do we move out of these two stages? (laughs) We need to recognize, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us recognize the areas of our lives, the areas of our relationships where we haven't died to self, where we're still in this give me and use me stages. And it becomes more obvious of uh, moving out of the stage when we start moving into the third stage, which is search me. Search me. In Luke 15, in the story of the prodigal son, this change came in verse 17. It says, then he came to his senses and said, how many of my father's hired men have more food than they can eat? And here I am starving to death. And I like that it says in this verse that he came to his senses. Another way to say that is he began to search his own heart to figure out Why am I where I'm at in my relationships with others? Why am I at, why is my life so messed up? He began to realize that his situation was not because of his father or his brother or someone else. He stopped blaming others for the condition of his heart and the condition of the relationships that he was in. And he began to search his own heart. He came to his senses. And that brings me to the key verse that we read this morning is "This search me is search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. I hope this is a verse that you will incorporate into your, into your prayer life. If you haven't memorize it because This is where we begin to grow not only as a Christian in our relationship with the Lord, but this is where we begin to grow in our relationships with one another, in our relationships with the world. We must be willing to ask God to search us and to point out anything in us that offends Him. We stop blaming others for the problems and the brokenness in our lives, and we begin to ask God, what's wrong with me? What needs to be changed? What needs to be transformed in my own life? What's blocking me from having strong, healthy relationships with others? Is there something I need to repent of? Is there someone I need to forgive? Is there someone I need to give grace to? Is there some attitude that needs to be changed in me? You know, if you want to have a blessed life, no matter what's happening in the world around you, no matter what's happening in your life, you have to embrace, embrace the search me process of growing up. Just like the prodigal son, we have to come to our senses and focus on what needs transforming in our own lives rather than pointing our fingers what needs to change in someone else. You know, I, I grew up, in redemption christian assembly that's the name of the church before it became new day and you know i i went god did a lot of things in my heart during the worship services and i remember many times during the worship services i would pray prayers like like this one that i have here it says no matter how scary it might feel to look and really examine myself Lord, I want you to show me what needs to change in my life and help me change. I want to be more like you. I trust that you will change only what needs to change in my life. I know you don't want to destroy me, but rather you change me so that I can be all that you created me to be. And these are the kind of prayers that I would pray even as I stood in the middle of worship with Pastor Ken Norberg, leading worship. And... I would pray these kind of prayers because I, I wanted God to transform my life. And that sometimes is very scary to pray because who knows what God's going to do, but I trust that he is a good, good father. And so I would pray these things and, you know, God wants us to look at ourselves and to be transformed Instead of looking at others, just wait for them to be transformed before we transform, right? And just, uh, for example, think about this big, huge tube that God lowers down from heaven and puts around your life. And he's watching you from heaven, everywhere you went, everything you do, everything you say, every response you make. He's just looking at you. And suddenly he sees you get angry at someone and he says, Wait, 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 wait. And you say, No, but what about this what what think about what they said. Think about what they did to me. And and God is saying, No, I'm only looking at you right now. Think about if he had this same tube and he put it over Jesus. Every reaction Jesus made, every action, every reaction, you know, Jesus went through a lot, right? He was almost thrown off of a hill because people got mad at him, angry because of what he was saying. Yet every action and every reaction Jesus made, God looked at it and he said, perfect, perfect. Even when Jesus went to the cross, what did God see? He saw, Father, will you forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Can we get there in our relationships with others? The sign of maturity is when we stop telling God to look at what they're doing and saying, God, is there something that I need to change? Search me so that I can make this relationship better. Search me and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. And think about this word search. And what it really means is it means to search diligently, almost frantically. Like I saw this lady uh, in a shopping center uh, in Japan and she was just running all over screaming and calling calling her child's name, searching for her child. She didn't care what others thought. She didn't care about anything, but finding her child. And this is what search means. Do we ask God to search us like that, to search us in, even in the dark areas of our heart that we've kind of closed off to everyone else? This is when we begin to be able to do that and do that more often that's when we know that we're starting to grow up in our relationship with the Lord. See, another version I like says, examine me, God. Put me under your microscope. Can we pray that? And know my mind, test me and know my thoughts. Are my thoughts pure before you, Lord, about this person? See if there's any offensive tendency in me and lead me in the eternal way. Like I said, when we can come to that point more and more in our relationships with others and even in our relationship with the Lord, we can see ourselves beginning to mature and to grow up. And then when we start doing that more and more often, we will, we will start to get into the fourth stage of maturity. And that is make me. Asking God to search me more and more and we want purity on the inside. And we say, God, make me a vessel fit for the Master's use. That's where we want to come to in our relationship, not only with our Father, but in our relationships with one another that no matter what's happening in my life i just want to be close to you father i want to be used by you i want to be able to serve others with a pure heart and pure motives and this is the pro- this is the point the prodigal son came to in his life in luke 15 Can we say, Lord, make me a servant to you, to my spouse, to my family, and to my church? This is the point we want to come to. The prodigal son, as I said, came to this point in verse fifteen or verse 18 of 15. It says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. Two words describe: it says, make me. He's not saying, give me anymore. He's saying, make me. I think he's saying, father, I want to be in your house with you. I know I'm your son, but make me a servant. I want to be more like you, father. I want to be more like like a servant, just like you are, Father, just like your servants, other servants are, I want to be like your servants also, Lord. He's coming to that point where he's realized I've always been a selfish person. Make me or teach me to be a servant in your house. Can we pray that? Can we say that to the Lord? God, make me a servant. Make me fit for use in your house. I want to come back into your house as a servant. And sometimes we think, well, we never went out on wild living and we've we've never done anything bad. And we, we can't relate to the prodigal son. But the prodigal son also had a brother, right? And where did the younger son start out in life? He started out in the give me stage. And where do you think the older son started out? Same place. Remember the the prodigal son comes back and the father is going to give him a party and and the older son won't come in. Why is that? It's unfair. Verse 28. The older brother became angry and refused to go in So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. The older son's the same place that the prodigal son was. You never gave me. He's still in this give me stage. His heart is not right towards his father. His heart's not right towards his relationship with his brother. He's got all this bitterness and offenses that he's let boil over and over in his heart. And he's no, he's still in this give me stage. But I love how the father responds because the father responds with love and grace and patience. Aren't you glad that our father in heaven Responds to us with love, grace, and great patience. I know he has a lot of patience for me. And the Father says in verse 31, he says, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. The answer to the maturing process and leaving behind the selfish, give me attitudes that we have is understanding the heart of our heavenly Papa. God is trying to tell us, listen, it's not what I can give you. It's that you can be with me. That's when we know we're mature, that what's most important is not the gift But the giver, the giver of life, that's most important in my life. The youngest son took everything he could from his father but wasn't happy. The older son stayed but never understood the happiness that was being with his father and serving with his father. He stayed out of duty. How many times do we do things out of duty? rather than a desire to serve and be with our Father, to be co-heirs, to be joint workers with what God wants to do in relationships around us. See, it's not that I... Your Heavenly Father, you know, your Papa, he says, it's not that I even need to give you something to make you happy anymore anymore. You're happy because you're with me. Just being with your heavenly Papa is what makes you happy. Are we at that place in our maturity level? And the outcome is everything is already yours. But it's not that important because you're with the Father and you're serving with the Father. See, Jesus tried to teach this in in John. He said, live in me, make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. You can't find true happiness until you find joy just being With the Father, being with Jesus, being content with the Holy Spirit in what he wants to do and say. Verse 7 goes on to say, but if you make yourselves at home with me and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. Like the prodigal son who came to his senses, he figured out that true happiness was just being at home with the father and becoming a servant in his house. That's where true joy is found in our lives. And that's where we experience all the benefits and blessings that God has for us because they're they're not first in our lives. They're second, they're third, they're fourth. They're not that important anymore because we find our true joy being at home with our Heavenly Papa and serving with Him just as Jesus only did with the Father what He saw His Father doing. He came to be a servant. See, God has all the answers that you need for every relationship that you're in. But you only find those answers when you first find Your home and ask God to search you and be at home with Him. And I want to sing a song. And I want us to just kind of declare that to ourselves and to the Lord. Because the blessings that God wants to give you will only come, really, truly come when we find our home and just being happy serving, being in the home of our heavenly papa and serving with him
2: moment I'm away.
0: us, point out the ways that offend you, God, and help us to to be transformed, to become different, to have a heart that um, honors you, a heart that's a good home for you, Holy Spirit, a place where you're happy to dwell. And Lord, our, our prayer is that you would make us into who you've designed us to be, so we can. Fulfill the purposes that you have for us with our time on this earth, God. That's our prayer this morning. Amen. Well, we're going to wrap up this morning. I want to encourage you just to lean into this message (laughs) in the days and weeks to come. um, The thing that we just sang, the thing that we just prayed, keep praying it, keep singing it, and lean into that. And um, I realize, too, the flip of it is, is something to pay attention to. When times are hard is when it's revealed that we have a give-me attitude, you know what I mean? When We don't get what we want, and it makes us really upset, and we start throwing a fit like a little kid. Oh, I, I've got that give-me approach. It's a good s- chance to search those moments and then you know, come back to Him in, in a prayerful state and go, oh, I see what I'm doing here, God or when we're really frustrated that we didn't get the attention or we didn't get the the fame, the power, the this, the that, or someone else did and jealousy creeps up. It's actually a gift from the Lord to reveal it to us so that we can be closer to him by responding to it. So Lord, we just ask for that too, that, that you'd give us the grace to see the things that would normally frustrate us and make us angry or upset or disappointed. Help us to see them as gifts from you so that we can see clearly and respond and move closer to you. Thank you that you're a good Father who wants to be close to us. You're a good Father who wants to be close to us, and we're so grateful for that. Amen. Well, as you're dismissed today, you can take further opportunity to lean in right now by coming and seeing the prayer team and have someone support you in prayer. Um, For the things that were talked about this morning or any prayer need whatsoever, the prayer team will be available right here. And you can use the link if you're joining us online to connect with them. And then remember, youth and parents of youth, that uh, youth group is tonight at 530 right here. Hopefully you'll take advantage of that and have an awesome time hanging out. And other than that, you're dismissed. Have a great Sunday. Love you guys.